0: Thanks for joining us at Mountainside Anywhere. I'm Pastor Lyle, and we've been praying for you, praying that God will use this teaching to reveal himself to you in his word. Through it, may you see him more clearly, know him more fully, and trust him more deeply. As always, we're here to serve, so please reach out through mountainside.online. If there's a specific way that we can come alongside to pray, help, or encourage you throughout the week. Join me now as we continue this study in the book of Mark. What a wonderful time of remembering the faithfulness of God in our worship today. Remembering uh, debts that we can never pay, that He paid in our behalf is uh, so much to be thankful for. So blessed. God is so good, is He not? We uh, continue our series in the book of Mark. And uh, maybe you're wondering, I, I think maybe a few months ago, I kind of laid out the, the timeline on the book of Mark, but maybe if you weren't here then and you're wondering, wow, like I was here six months ago and they were doing Mark and here we are, they're still doing Mark. What's taking these guys so long? So there is a plan and the plan is that we will end uh, on Resurrection Sunday uh, in the passage of in the resurrection in Mark and that's how we will uh, conclude as we wrap up the book of Mark will be uh, at Easter this year and so... It's amazing that right now we're in Mark chapter eleven. A couple of weeks ago, before the storm, Pastor Dave was uh, covering on Jesus. The triumphal entry had already happened, and he kind of walked us through what happened in the in the temple when he goes through and clears the temple and d- discusses the coming judgment on uh, Israel and the temple. And we continue in Mark chapter eleven, and, and the scriptures will be on the screen today. But you can also follow along in your in your copy of the scriptures, but. My question as we go through this passage, because I've, I've read this passage, this section many times, and, um, and today, I, I hope today uh, really just kind of spurs new thinking about some of these things, or at least challenges a little bit, that we'd certainly walk out, and as always, we ask the Holy Spirit to, to meet with us and to change us today from the inside out. If you had a friend, family member maybe, who you knew was going to be going through some of the most difficult, hard circumstances of their life in the future. It was coming. Hadn't gotten there yet, but it's coming. What would you do to help them, to prepare them, to to do whatever was possible before the circumstance, the trial, the suffering arrives in order to give them the resources or the training or whatever it might be, the best that we would know how Um, to prepare them for what they were about to go through. In our passage today in chapter 11, 18 through 25, it's it's Wednesday of Passion Week. I mean, it's kind of weird when we preach these messages a little out of the Easter timeline because we tend to not think of that Passion Week timeline until we finally get to Passion Week. It's not Palm Sunday didn't happen last week and we're now in the middle of the week before uh, Good Friday on Friday. That we're, we're out of that timeline, so your brains and your hearts may not be in tune with, with what's going on, but it's Wednesday. Tomorrow night is the Last Supper. Just yesterday, he went to the temple and spoke judgment. So today, it's Wednesday. I want to read for you the passage and then make some comments, and then we'll work our way through... Five specific points today related to this uh, section of Scripture. Starting in verse 18, when the leading priests and teachers of a religious law heard what Jesus had done, talking about what he just did in the temple, they began planning how to kill him. This planning had been going on already, folks. Like We know that there's multiple groups that all want to kill him. And here they are continuing to plan on the murder of Jesus. But they were afraid in this moment again... There's been multiple opportunities that they've tried to take to seize him, to kill him, to push him off a cliff even, and he's. It's not, it's not the right timing. But the timing's getting very, very close. They're afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. Verse 19, that evening, so they spent the day at the temple, and then it concludes with that statement, now in the evening, at the end of the conclusion of that day, the disciples leave the city. They spent the day in the city, and now they're leaving at nighttime. The very next morning, as they passed by the fig tree that he had cursed, the disciples notice it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day. It was the morning before, and they're on their way to the temple. They didn't know what was about to happen, but Jesus spoke to and cursed that fig tree the morning before. But remember, they just left at nighttime, so they didn't see it when they went back out of the city. The next morning, they're on their route back into the city, and here is that fig tree. And he said, Peter says, look, Rabbi, the fig tree that you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus says to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. Anyone you're holding a grudge against. So that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. There's a lot of things in that section of Scripture, aren't there? Some that maybe you've been confused by. There's actually been a few of you that asked me specifically about the forgiveness passage of Scripture over the last couple years. Struggling in your heart to forgive, does that mean at this moment that Christ is not forgiving my sins? We'll talk about that. A couple, uh, several messages back in the series, um, Jesus covered this ask anything according to my name and you'll receive it passage. We've actually spent some time. So there are some things today that we'll spend a little less time, a little more time on because nothing in the section is actually anything that's brand new. Jesus has said all these things before and many of these things we've already covered in the book of Mark. But why is it in this moment on Wednesday, he's gonna be betrayed tomorrow night. Does he take the time and spend it on these subjects? Because this section of scripture It's really about prayer. It's about prayer. It's not about, even though you might be like, man, I love this passage about me getting whatever I want. No, it is about prayer. It is there is the ask, is in there. Start at the very beginning uh, of what he's covering here. We've got a dead fig tree. Then he talks about faith in God, and then it's prayer, prayer, prayer. Does it feel a little disconnected? Does it feel like the flow of these things is a little strange, right? But overall, the intention going fig tree to faith in God to prayer, 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 the intention of the whole is really about prayer today. Now, let me ask you, based on the fact that if you're looking at this whole passage as a whole is about prayer, and we're going to walk through it, so you'll see a little more clearly that. What do you think, though, in this moment, the disciples' prayer life was like? Have you ever thought about that before? What would your prayer life be like if you walked with Jesus every day for three years? We have no idea. And at this moment, they really have no application or understanding or at least commitment to what you and I would know as our entire life of prayer. Now, they would have grown up, prayer would have been a daily part of their life. It would have been inundated. There would have been prayer circles and, and patterns of prayer and things that they had to memorize. Like So it would have been a, a very active daily part of their life until all of a sudden, they're walking with Jesus every day. I, I, would, I would think that based on that reality, their prayer life would be weaker, diminished today, than it would be stronger based on what you know about their time spent with Jesus. I mean, I can't see God the Father, but the Son of God is right here within arm's reach. And think about the time that they spent with Jesus. Now, he's providing them direction, provision, daily answers to questions they didn't even know they should ask, but then they get the answers and they're still confused. But the provision, the plan, the protection all of these things through significant times in the disciples' lives. But then, when some of the most significant moments happen and Jesus invites them in to pray, what do they do? They sleep. They sleep. But doesn't Jesus know the massive change that's coming for the disciples? That a significant shift of Jesus being there in person, The Holy Spirit is going to come. I'm going to send the comforter, someone who can, can allow you guys to do greater things, far exceeding the scope of reach that has ever happened through Jesus' own ministry. The world is turned upside down soon because of their reach of their ministry. But none of that, none of that could ever happen if they don't catch the power of prayer and the principles that are related to the power of prayer that they're going to need desperately in just really hours, hours from this moment. See, they're going to have to rely on the resources that come through the supply that comes through prayer. We have only had access to God through prayer, right? When we heard the gospel, we prayed to be saved. Then we, we struggle with temptation, we pray to, pray to be delivered. When we need something, we pray for provision. Wisdom, we ask of God. It's all we know. It's our lifeline. It's like spiritual oxygen to us. But to the disciples, they desperately needed to go in that direction, but weren't there yet. And so the fact that Jesus chooses this moment in history, how important is it for us to learn what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples? Because now what we know in our life of prayer came from the disciples in their pattern, in their plan for prayer after Jesus ascends and the church is born. So let's look And starting in verse 20. It says, The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree that he had cursed, the disciples noticed it was withered from the roots up. Peter, notice this, Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day, and he exclaims out loud, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree that you cursed is withered and died. If you look in the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 21, it it reveals a little bit more of what's happening in there, because we know Mark, in our study of Mark, he's the guy who just blows through information. Like, here's information, and there's a lot that we see in the accounts of the parallel gospels. And we see in the Matthew 21 parallel passage that he's really kind of wondering, how did that tree die so fast? Like, what is going on with the power of... That's related to you speaking to it yesterday and what just happened to that tree. How does this display of power really happen? And so the very first point today as it relates to this passage that I believe is on principles of the power of prayer. Number one today is remember, remember his power. Some of these points are explicit and some are implicit. But here Peter in 21 says Peter remembered what Jesus had said to that tree He remembered the powerful words that Jesus spoke. And now he's seeing uh, what was a judgment on that tree, which is the first miracle that is the like negative, destructive miracle. They've never seen anything like this. They've seen disease healed and demons cast out and miraculous food multiplied, provision, protection, like miracle after miracle after miracle, and all of a sudden, they go out and they see this tree that is dead from the roots up. Now, when I read this so many times, right, and and even uh, seen different pictures, Sunday school pictures, like where some of us are so old, they were flannel graph pictures. I can't even say the word. Um, You know, this isn't like a little tiny fig bush. This is a tree, a whole tree that from one day to the next, is now dead from roots up. It's not like the sun just withered this little tiny plant. It's why it's like this crazy miracle when he remembered that Jesus spoke to it in display of power that happened. He remembered the power. You see, for them and for us, why why would we call on God if he hasn't proven himself in the past? Why would we? We sang about the faithfulness of God just a few minutes ago. And I think for us in our prayer life, we would be very wise to start with remembering the power of God. You say, remember the faithfulness of God. True. Remember what? Thinking about the children of Israel, the Jewish people in this moment, what would they need to remember? Because throughout scripture, over and over and over, we're called to remember, 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 remember. Remember what? Remember the God who preserved you, the God who delivered you out of Egypt, who rescued you from the death angel on Passover, the God who let you walk through the water untouched and then drowned all of Pharaoh's army, the God who fed you manna in the wilderness, the God who provided water from a rock. Remember. Remember. It's a foundation of effective prayer, both now and in the future. Even the prophet Isaiah calls us to remember, remember, remember. It's a great passage in Isaiah chapter 46. Remember, there's no God like me. Remember, I know the end from the beginning. We see it throughout Psalms, over and over and over. Remember. The first point today is that we remember his power. We have to think back to the past and remember the power of God. But then in verse 22, then Jesus said to his disciples in this kind of strange, abrupt movement, have faith in God. I feel like you didn't address what he just said, but Jesus perfectly is addressing exactly what needs to be said. In response to what they've just witnessed and what they've seen and what Peter's questioning about this power, he says to them, have faith in God. The emphasis here is on God, not the faith. In Matthew 21, again, the parallel passage says, have faith in God and don't doubt. We see in this passage, it continues and it talks about believe and believe in the next two verses. But in Matthew, it connects the, the having faith in God with not doubting. It's not the nature of the faith here that's the issue. He's talking about God and the character of God, drawing out the character of God. That's the issue. Have faith in God. Do not doubt God. Another way to say this would be trust God. Point number two, principles for a powerful prayer. Trust his person. We remember his power and we trust his person. How is it that in our life we find ourselves trusting his promises? We trust his plans, his purposes, that his will would be done. It comes because we trust his person, the character of who God is. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, right? The prayer that most of the world is memorized. But he said, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's how you pray. God, whatever honors your name, advances your kingdom, and accomplishes your will, that's what I pray. Trust God. I'm trusting his character, his person, which includes his plan, his provision, the purposes of God. His will be done. Sometimes we pray the opposite. I know I'm guilty of that. James writes about it in James chapter one. You ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you ask to consume it of your own desires. Like you're asking for the very things that you want, that you desire, the desires of your heart. You're not praying, God, change my desires to your desires. You're praying, these are my desires, God, and I'm asking for those. My plan, my will, not his. Look at the verses that are on the screen that teach this same principle. 1 John five fourteen. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. James four fifteen. What we ought to say. This is after the today or tomorrow we're going to go to such and such a city and we're buy and sell and make a profit and we've got our plans. And he says at the end of that in James four fifteen. What we ought to be saying is, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. The very next night in the upper room in John chapter 14, 12, you can see it on the screen. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Again, what I referenced earlier, it's the scope is greater, not the individual work or act is greater. The whole world is going to be turned upside down by the gospel greater works are going to be done, because I'm going to go be with the Father. Now, you can ask for anything in my name. Did you just catch that? In my name. And I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus' name is not a magic name, a magic word. Some of you might have grown up and Thought it was, like, thank you, Lord, for the food. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know what magic we think is going to happen to food. More multiply food. My teenage son would love that. You know, just in Jesus' name. And I got multiple Big Macs or 40 chicken nuggets instead of 20 would be amazing. <laughs> but it's in his name, meaning it's his will, his plan, his purposes. The question here, disciples, do you trust me? Trust God. So my question is, does your prayer life have your name written all over it or his? You see, this point, until I studied these last month or so looking at this passage, this is the qualifier for what comes next. It's the qualifying truth for the next section of scripture that people take out of context and Let's name it and claim it, everybody. Well, no, 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 no. This is the qualifier. It's all about him. His will, his plans, his name, his character, his plan, provision, his goodness, his wisdom. Have faith in God. There was a mighty display of power, Peter, and you need to have faith in me. Trust me because pretty soon you're going to need power. But are you going to trust me? Without trusting his person and his will, the very next things are not possible. Because these dudes, their lives are about to change to the point that they are murdered for the sake of Christ. Super hard circumstances. They're about to face the mountain. And so what does he say? I tell you the truth in verse 23. You can say to this mountain... May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen, but you must really believe that it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I'm thankful that Jesus says in here, I tell you the truth, you can say, depending on the version that you might read, it's anyone can pray this prayer. Anyone can say. This wasn't just for the disciples in this moment of time. This is for all believers, if you believe. Anyone can speak to the Lord in belief in this way. It's for you today. It's for me. But you can say, all of us can say to the mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. Now there's lots of stuff written and talked about regarding this from lots of different perspectives. Uh, To me, and you could disagree with me, to me it's, it's a fairly simple thing that this is analogy, it's hyperbole. He might be standing on a mountain, some have argued that it's the Mount of Olives, or he's looking and pointing at a mountain, sure, he certainly could, but it isn't amazing that not since this moment until today, several thousand years, no human has ever been known to stand in front of a mountain and move it. If if it was literal, why would Jesus do that to all of us? In the writings of the time, just like today, there were many, many references to people who uh, were described as the ones who could solve severe problems, complicated circumstances, and they were called the movers of mountains. And so Jesus is standing here and he's telling them, knowing they're about to go into the most extreme circumstances of their life mountainous. There is no human way you guys are about to get through what you're going to get through apart from my power. You can't move the mountain. The point three is believe in His power. We remembered His power in the past at the beginning. Now we're believing in His power in the present. James 1.6 when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Okay, I know this isn't on the screen. Catch it. Write it down if, you, if you're writing it down. James 1.6. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Same point is being made. Have faith in God. Don't waver. A person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea and is blown and tossed by the wind. Okay, This, this passage is not about... Your power, your plans, your purposes, your person. This is about him. And clearly, we're not to doubt, but is it talking about doubting us in our plans and our power and our abilities? No, it's talking about don't doubt God's power and God's plan and God's will or God's name. Have faith in him. Don't doubt him. Believe in him. This isn't a natural ability to move a mountain. This is a supernatural ability to move a mountain that doesn't come through us. So it's calling us to believe in his power, to not doubt him. Be sure, this is talking and calling for faith. But it's faith in the power of God, faith in the power of God to do it, to do this that he's talking about, faith in the goodness of God, faith in the wisdom of God. So how much faith does it take to activate this power? Because that's the structure that we're working through. Peter sees this power, and in the Matthew 21 passage, he is interested in that power. And God says immediately, not really answering that, saying, have faith in God. Believe in his power, his plans, his name, his purposes. But this is a faith thing to activate the power. So how much faith are we talking about? Well, if we think about, there's so many passages we can look at and work through. But if we just remember, in Matthew 14, it's the, the passage where Peter walks on water, right? He has enough faith to go out and walk on water. But then he looks at the, the mountain, so to speak, the, the, which was a storm and waves and wind and all of it, right? He takes his eyes off of Jesus. And in that moment, he sinks. But in that moment of sinking, he cries out in praise, a powerful prayer, Lord, help me, Lord, save me. And what does the Lord do? He answers the prayer and he helps him. Oh, you of little faith. He didn't say no faith. It was a little faith that caused Peter to walk on the water. I'm thankful for that because sometimes I feel like I have a scraping of faith. How about you? In Mark chapter 9, probably months ago when we were in Mark chapter 9. Do you remember the story in Mark 9 where the disciples were unable to heal the the boy who was possessed and then they bring him to Jesus? Later they ask, why couldn't we cast out the demons from this boy? And he says, you had no faith. But before they get to that, the father is, is pleading with Jesus, if you can heal my boy. And Jesus is like, if I can. Haven't you heard about me? And he says, yes, I believe. Help my unbelief. He had more faith than the disciples had in that moment. And the power of God is activated in that healing moment through a little faith. I think we probably ought to add to our prayer life, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. We know it's a little faith because Matthew 17, 20 is pretty famous in describing it as the size of a mustard seed. But it says a mustard seed size faith does what? Moves mountains. He continues in verse 24. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe, you will receive it. It will be yours. Now, we've already covered that there's qualifiers to this. If the Lord wills. It's the Lord's plan. It's the Lord's power, right? It's, it's, there's qualifiers to this asking, but he's saying, you got to ask. Come ask me. They got to be thinking of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like ask, seek, and knock. It's going to come. It's going to be open. Like their minds must be just churning, thinking about these things, trying to understand it and grasp with us what this truth is that he's giving them, not knowing what they're about to go through and not knowing in that moment what it's like to not have Jesus anymore. You can pray for anything. If you believe you're going to receive it, it'll be yours. Church, we're called, the principle here to have powerful prayers is to ask for his purposes. That's key. Ask for his purposes. We understand the qualifier. It's his will. James 4.3, you ask and you don't receive because you ask and you consume it in your own desires. You're asking the old King James, I think, used to say amiss. Like you missed it, missed the mark. You, you were trying to consume it yourself, your own desires, your own everything. It has not, this has nothing to do with you. It's about him and his purposes. Ask, though. Ask for his purposes. Now, amazing, he gives us a perfect model of this. And Pastor referenced it when this came up in Mark earlier, because this is, I feel like, the passage to go to in answering the, the, the struggling thinker of, but it says if I just ask anything that God gives it to me. There's a qualifier, and Jesus models this qualifier perfectly. Mark's uh, chapter 14, 36, the Lord's in the garden. He's sweating drops of blood in agony of anticipation of his own crucifixion. It hasn't even started yet. That's how bad the crucifixion's going to be, because Jesus knows what he's in for, and he's sweating drops of blood just knowing how awful it's going to be. And he cries out, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, this cup of coming suffering, the sin bearing, yet not what I will, but what you will. Today, the Lord understands when we cry out to him, when we cry for healing of ourselves, our loved ones, we cry out for a better marriage or a heart's for kids that might be grieving you. that You're struggling because of decisions that they've made. Rebellion. He understands it. He understands the struggles of your money and your finances. He understands all of it. Today, he holds you in his heart. He'll never forsake you. He'll never withhold any good thing from you. All things work together for good to those who are called according to his will, but you have to go faithfully ask according to his will for his purposes. You see, these guys, they hadn't started, I think, really praying because he's still there. It's like Jesus would be saying, up to now, you haven't been doing this, but now you better start doing this. You ask, but you ask consistent with me who I am, why I came, what my purposes are. And then final point is in verse 25. But when you are praying, first forgive. Forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. The point here is pretty clear. Forgive all people. He doesn't give any outs. He doesn't give any caveats. He It's very clear, and it's been clear many times through the Gospels. How many times do I have to forgive? Seven? Uh, 70 times seven. There's parables that reveal the judgment for not forgiving. The Old Testament was clear. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He makes it really clear, forgive, forgive. If you have anything against anybody, the word here is a word that means like, Throw it away. Hurl it away. Get rid of it. And it says, so that your Father who's in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. This is not a salvation forgiveness of your transgressions. You're like, because this tells me that if then I have any unforgiveness at any point, then I've just lost my salvation. Scripture's clear, in fact, probably the passage that clears it up the most for me is when he tells Peter, again, just ahead of this time, when Peter, in response to Jesus washing his feet, and here's what Jesus says, wash all of me, give me a bath, Jesus. No, 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 you don't need that, you've already been washed, but you're walking around and the dirtiness gets stuck to your feet. See it in Acts 15, the same, the same thing. you walking around in the dirtiness of the world and your feet need cleansing from that dirtiness, that sin that sticks to us. I grew up with my mom teaching me this principle in 1 John 1.9. If, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When I sin against my wife, she doesn't disown me, divorce me, she doesn't leave me, but there's a problem in the relationship at that moment. One that requires her to forgive. And when I'm responding correctly, I go and seek forgiveness. And so this isn't a salvation forgiveness, but it's like a daily cleansing in, in my relationship. There's a barrier between me and God and my fellowship. And he says, if, if, if you want your prayers, you want the power, Peter, You have faith in me. You don't doubt my power, my plans, my purposes. It's my will. And you're going to come and you're going to ask for the things that are according to my purpose. Then you can be sure. You better believe it. I'm showing up and the mountain will be moved. But if you pray and ask for these things and you believe and you, but you haven't forgiven, no power's coming. Mountain's not being moved. Prayer is hindered. It's like In 1 Peter 3, when he talks to the husband, live with your wife with an understanding way. But hey, if you treat your wife in this way, it will hinder your prayers. Your prayers will not be heard if you treat your wife in this ungodly manner. He's pretty clear that forgiveness is a must. Now church, today I actually... Three weeks ago, I told Dave and others that my plan was to preach this entire message on forgiveness. And then as I went through the passage, I'm like, I, I, we have to talk about the power of prayer, the principles that are here for prayer. That prayer is, is the, the focal point of what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples who need a mountain to be moved in their life in, almost immediately after this is done. But folks, don't brush over it. I'm going to put on, um, on Facebook today, I'm going to put uh, a PDF of something that I feel like answers so many biblical questions regarding forgiveness and unforgiveness. It's simple, it's short, and it answers some of the questions that are going through your mind right now. When people don't seek you out for forgiveness, they continue to repeat. It's a repeat offender. What about when there's danger involved? How do I respond to that? It's going to answer some of those biblical struggles with forgiveness that I think is is the ones that they are the big ones. You say, I don't, have, I don't feel like I don't have a problem. Like you're talking about you and Becky, like you love each other. It's like it's a part of the, it's a part of the, the bond and the relationship, the commitment, the covenant that happens. Like we, we forgive our kids when they, they hurt our feelings. And, but boy, there are some things. I talked with some folks just this week. Boy, they don't want to forgive. But you know what? They've been hurt mightily. Huge mountain of a circumstance in their life that someone has brought, like dropped a mountain in their life. And they're like, I don't want to forgive them. It means you just lost out on the opportunity to, to pray for this power that God will bring to move the mountain. You need to forgive them, or you're cutting off the resource of the power. But what do we know to be true about what happens next? Jesus goes to the cross. After the resurrection, he assembles all of them on the mountain that day, and then he goes and he ascends. And what do they immediately do when Jesus ascends? They go back to the upper room, and what do they immediately do? pray. Jesus isn't gone but for a second, and they're like, we got to go pray. And then what happens next? Holy Spirit comes. Next day, Pentecost, 3,000, 5,000, soon 20,000 people have come to know Jesus. You're going to do greater things than I ever did in scope and it comes through the power of prayer. It would have never happened if they didn't catch this on this day. We got to be faithful and passionate prayers to God. Anybody have a mountain that needs to be moved today? Anybody struggling to forgive and now you're like, man, is my unforgiveness the barrier to prayer and the power that God is it wants to do in my life and I'm just losing out on God's plans and purposes because of my heart of unforgiveness? You might need to say, God, I believe But help my unbelief. I need to be able to forgive this situation, this person, this hurt, this this guilt, this shame, whatever it may be. Because I know some of you are bearing some massive baggage from your past that did not, you didn't cause it happen to you. But Jesus couldn't be more clear. If you don't forgive, you're missing out on God moving mountains in your life. That's pretty serious. Church, I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God would work miracles in your heart to forgive. That if you've doubted God, that you won't, you'll stop. Have faith in God. Believe in the power of God. Remember his power. Trust God. Believe in his power. Ask for his purposes in your life and forgive everyone. I would assume I'm not the only guy in the room who every time in a conversation about prayer, I feel like, God, I have got to be a better prayer. I believe this ministry, this church, even the ministry of, of the Bible Institute, there's so many students and staff. and remember, Snow camp is about to start. God wants to do miracles in people's lives through this ministry and that ministry, camping ministry, through the youth center and all that God is is formulating. And I feel like we are right at the precipice of God doing miraculous things that we, we just, we don't, we can't see it quite yet. God, I believe in your plan, in your purposes, in your will, and that's the only thing I want with this ministry with my life, and I pray and ask that you would pray with me as we close the very same thing. Father, I pray right now that you would do a work in our hearts, that the, the, the word of God would wash over us. Lord, I know there's so much more in these, these words, and these passages today that we just touched the surface on. I pray that we'd be faithful studiers of your word, Lord, that the word of God would impact us from the inside out and cause us to change today to be more like you, that we would be convicted by the Holy Spirit if we have been neglecting our our prayer life, that if we've been holding on to a grudge, that, Lord, we would give it up, we'd throw it away, we'd get rid of it, that we would forgive them the debt that they could never pay us back because we've been forgiven a debt by Jesus that we could never, ever pay. Lord, may today be a day that we just deal with unforgiveness. And that if it's been the barrier to you doing great things, then, Lord, I pray today you'd help us with our unbelief and the barriers would be removed. Relationship restored, prayer restored. And that we would be a group of people who faithfully ask for your purposes, your will in every aspect of our ministry, our lives, our families. We love you, and we are thankful that Jesus paid it all because we could not pay it. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen.